0: I don't want to take you back in time. Um, it's only two years ago, but when you're 30 years old, that's a long time. Um, I don't, you know. People give me a lot of flack. They're like, "You're only 30," and I'm like. I feel like 30 is kind of old now. Like, that's what I think. And people are, no, it's not. It's like, yeah, but what about the 16-year-old? I feel like way older than them. Anyways, that's my rant this morning. Um, Now we can preach the word of God. Anyways, so we'll go back to uh, December 20th, 2018. It was just over two years ago. And I was showing up to Insomnia downtown coffee shop. And I was going in there to meet with a bunch of other youth pastors at the time. And I was a youth pastor here at Sunrise Church. And so we were meeting because we had a big day planned ahead of us. And so we walk into the coffee shop that morning. It's pretty early. I can't remember how early, but early enough that there's no one else in the coffee shop. They're just early enough to be open. And we're, we're sitting there. There's some new faces. There's some people I recognize, just local youth pastors and my father-in-law, Eric, set this day up, and he set, and basically we were going to take a trip to the Abbey that day, the Trappist Abbey. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's close to Carlton and Lafayette. It's where the monks uh, pray. It's a large acreage of land, and we were going to go there to spend the day with God. Is what it was, and so you can imagine um, that's maybe a little bit weird for you to think about or talk about. And it was all of us probably sitting there that day as youth pastors were kind of like, I I don't know what I'm necessarily in for as well, or what to expect. But before we took off, Eric does his Eric thing, if you know him, and he's he's sitting there and he asks this question. He's like, I want us all to answer a question before we carpool out to the Abbey. He's like, I want I want I want you to answer this question: Who are you? And uh, he he asks this question, and then he all of a sudden he takes all the answers off the table too. He's like a real professor that wants you to fail. And he goes, and he and what he does is he goes, I, I know your husbands, I know your pastors, I know your parents, I know your siblings, I know you're all these things, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm I'm asking who are you. Like, and, and at that moment, immediately, if you've been around church, your your response is like, I want to go to like, I'm a child of God, or I'm a son and daughter of the King. And those are like, those are very good church responses. But in my moment, in that moment, it's like, I I don't want to give the right answer. I just, I don't know what to answer now. And so I put that question back on us this morning and to you and I go, who are you? I'm not talking about your vocation. I'm not talking about what you do. I'm not talking about your past experiences. I'm not talking about your failures. I'm not talking about your achievement or successes or where you were born in the birth order in your family. I'm not talking about family lineage. I'm not talking about where you went to school. I'm talking about who are you? When you take away the relationships, when you take away um, where you come from, your accomplishments, past experiences, when you take all that away and you strip it all away, who are you? Like really, what, what, what do you have to stand on at that point? That is, it's, a, it's kind of a hard question. And if you have to answer that, like today it's like I, I'm leading a very large small group. That's why I feel like you're all going to go off, have lunch today or whatever you're going to do. And you can ask the person next to you, who are you? And you can see if they paid attention. But if you're honest, it's a hard question to answer, especially with people around you. You're like, well, uh, maybe I don't know who I am. And the truth is, today, we're, we're entering into the story that's really told from a, from a point of service, a point of serving others and, and loving others abundantly and all these things. But I would argue more than anything, it's a message, it's a, it's a scripture about identity. It's a scripture about understanding that we are God's creation first, that we were made by him. And so as we dig into this today, I want you to understand, until you get this part of it, until you get the identity part, you might as well just skip over the last part of this because it's really, really important that you understand where you come from and where you're going. So let's, let's dig in to the scripture. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, we've been sitting in this Gospel of John for a long time in this series called Believe— and we're about to make a real hard turn in this. In this, And what I mean by that is we've been focusing up until this point, the first half of the book, on what is called the book of signs. It's Jesus' public ministry. So he's going out and he is, what John has recorded is seven signs up to this point, Seven miracles that prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Prove that his identity is who he is. And last week we talked about Lazarus rising from the grave on Easter, right? That's what we talked about. And then now we transition to the last days, even maybe hours of Jesus' life, to what is called the book of glory. And so John has two segments, the the book of signs, the book of glory. And so now we've seen Jesus' public ministry, and now we're going to look at his private ministry, which means he's speaking to those that truly believe he is the Son of God, truly believe he is who he is. So he's pulling those that are really close to him a little bit closer, and he's saying, hey, I need to share some things with you. I need to tell you about some things. I need to teach you some things that are very important for you to take this mission to the ends of the earth. And so he pulls him a little bit closer, and John lets us in on this in the final chapters leading up to what we call his glorification on the cross. That's why it's called the book of glory. And so as we enter into this today, uh, I want you to know that we're coming into this evening meal. So let's read about it. Evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, if you don't know who Judas is, Judas is one of the 12 disciples. And I just want to go, I want to kind of back up here for a moment for some of us in the room. Jesus picks 12 disciples at the beginning of his ministry journey, which is about three years. And so it's like schoolyard style. Jesus is picking the team. He's picking these 12. He's like, these are the guys who are going to take my mission to the end of the earth. And I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to show them what the Father is like. I'm going to show them what the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm going to do all these things with these 12 men. I'm going to change the world. And so he picks these 12. And now if we think about the three years that they spent together leading up to this moment, to this story today, we need to understand that they did so much life together. Like we need to think about the dinner conversations they had. The, the things that they experienced together. It was, it was a brotherhood. The jokes, the inside jokes. When one went to the bathroom, they all went to the bathroom, right? Like, that's what this is. That was supposed to be funny. That's all I got. So if we can't get past that joke. It's all downhill from here today. So, all right, back to the story. So we, we, we see this, right? We see how close their relationship is and the moments that they experienced together. That this really was a brotherhood. That this really was, people are close. And beyond that, I would say, to understand, you have to understand that they experienced the miracles of Jesus firsthand. They were there. They saw them happen. They saw the blind man see the lame man walk. They saw the bread multiplied before their eyes. They saw the unthinkable, the impossible happen. And then it goes, it's even crazier to think that there's a point in the story where Jesus commissions them to go and cast out demons, to go and baptize, to go and use their faith to see the impossible happen. Jesus sends them out on a mission trip and they experience everything they've, very many of the things that they've seen Jesus do because of their faith. So these guys, I mean, this is real. These guys truly believe. And Jesus is going to sit down here at the dinner table with them. And he's about to do what we have been told in, in the story of Jesus is like the lowliest thing to do. But before we get there, I want, to, I want to focus on one more verse. Verse 3 here. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, Jesus, the Father had put everything under Jesus' authority. Jesus had privilege. Jesus had authority. Jesus had it all. But then it says that he had come from God and he was returning to God. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew who he belonged to. That's what he knew. And, And that begs the question for us this morning as we dig into identity. It's like, do we know where we come from? Like, do we really know that? Do we know where we're going when it's all over? Do we know whose we are? I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about you're your kid's parent. Do you know whose you are? Now, you got to let that sit in for a moment. Because if you don't understand this, we can't go any further. Because it says in Scripture, it says that we are made in God's image. That's what it says in Scripture, that humans are made in God's image. We're the only creature, we're the only one that God made in His likeness. You know what else it says in Scripture? It says, We are His masterpiece. You are His masterpiece. He knit you and formed you in your mother's womb. He was deciding who you would be, your strengths, your weaknesses, what you would look like. You're one of a kind. And I know sometimes we wrestle with the fact that we're a one of a kind. We're like, I wish I wasn't some of the things I am. And God knows, no, I, I made you. And I made you perfect. And I didn't make any mistakes. Because I knew the world needed you. That's how, God is crazy about you. And then you know what else it says in scripture? It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So even in your deepest, darkest moment, even in the thing that you can't forgive yourself for, God was there. God was pursuing you. God was right there in that moment saying, hey, this can't separate us. This doesn't change how I feel about you. This doesn't change that you're one of a kind. This doesn't change how I've made you and shaped you and formed you. These are hard things to believe. Like I just, I just whittled through three of them and some of us go, man, that's, that's really good. But does that change anything? Does that change the way we live? Does that change? No, because the truth is, is that so many of us miss that message because we live in a world where love is conditional. That's what we're used to. Marriage is conditional. If you love me, I'll love you. That's supposed to be like the closest thing we have to our resemblance of our relationship with God as the church. And right, I mean, seriously, it is based on conditions. It is based on being good enough. It is based on if you, if you check all the boxes, if you, if you are just right here and you score high enough here and you, and you got this, then you're good enough. Because I will allow you, I will love you when you've proved it to me. Like that's, that's the world we live in. That's how love works. And so when I re- riddle off all these Bible verses about, oh man, God loves you, all this stuff. I think we can go, yeah. But I live in a world that tells me this. And so what do I do about that, Taylor? Because that's the message I keep getting. And the reason we keep getting that message is because, and I'm, and I'm not here to pick apart your life, but I'm just here to tell you how mine looks, right? It's like social media, right? Social media tells us the same thing all the time. Well, you need this, you need this, you should look like this, and this is what your friend circle should look like. Or you go to the news and it's like, this is what you should believe. This is what you should question. Or just binge watching your favorite show on Netflix or Hulu, or you pick your, your device. Like they all tell us the, what we're what the family we're supposed to have, the house we're supposed to, the car we're supposed to drive, what our friendships should look like. There should be a friend who, who does this in our life. There should be a friend who who does this in our life, and there should be this kind of person in our life. Like it, it tells us the roles we're supposed to play. And when we we start watching these things, we start consuming these things, and then we start getting around friends who tell us maybe the same thing because they're watching the same stuff or hearing the same stuff. It's like. We read these three Bible verses and we go, I'm 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 made in God's image. Nothing can separate me from his love. I'm I'm one of a kind. And and it almost doesn't penetrate our soul because where we live our lives and where we we really do daily life is with the the opposite message. And so you need to hear this morning above all else that God's crazy about you. That God has pursued you. That God is just running after you in that deepest, darkest stuff. Like he's there. Even when right now, if you go off and you sin today, God will be there. Like if you fall short, God's there. He loves you. Nothing can change the way he feels about you. You Come from God and you will return to God one day. Like that's, that's who it is. And if we can't understand this, I'm gonna say this a lot today. You're gonna miss out on the rest of the message because it just can't apply until you figure out who you are and why you were made. That you are God's creation and that no one, not even the person sitting next to you today can take that away from you. Can take away your purpose, can take away any of the ways that God feels about you. And so I want to move ahead to what Jesus does next. And the reason he's able to do this is because he knows where he comes from and he knows where he's going. It says, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped up a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. it's pretty wild. Like we know this, if you've been around church, Jesus takes on the lowliest position of a slave or a servant. And if we were to know the times and understand our Bible, we we would understand this is a normal practice. This isn't just like out of the blue. People would take baths, people would wash up, they'd be clean, but they'd walk in sandals everywhere. And they'd walk on these roads, these dusty traveled roads that livestock had walked on and and all this kind of stuff. And so you can imagine they're walking in to a house and hospitality is like the like, you want to talk about something that communicates status in the first century world, it's hospitality. And so when you'd walk into someone's home, it would be assumed that someone was going to wash your feet, that someone was going to do that. And so they walk in this home and obviously no one washed their feet as they're about to eat this Passover meal. And so what Jesus does is he's like, hey, I'll do that. And so Jesus leaves his place at the table, says he takes off his garments, he puts a towel around his waist, which is actually the dress attire of a slave. So even that's looked down upon. This is an absolute insult. And Jesus is getting down. He's the master teacher rabbi, and he's the one doing it to his disciples, he's washing their feet. Man, there's, he's like, man, this, there's something here in taking the lowliest position. The reason he can do this is because he knows his identity. The reason he can go so low is because he knows where he comes, where he comes from and where he's going. So then it gets to Peter, right? Like, this is, this is good. Peter makes us all feel better about ourselves. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you, you will have no part of me. Like, like I, I like Peter's response because it makes me feel better, right? Like, I'm like, man, Peter's like making this moment really awkward. But Peter's making the moment awkward because he feels really awkward. He feels ashamed. He's feeling like, man, this is my master. This is my teacher. This is my, this is my elder. This is the person I look up to. This is the person I should be washing their feet, and he's washing mine. How did I miss this? Like, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. This is not the way this is supposed to work. Peter feels embarrassed. Peter feels remorse. He feels ashamed. He feels all these things. And what is he doing when he has all these emotions that kind of feel like he's out of, like everything's out of control? He does what all of us do. He tries to take control of the situation by saying something stupid. I don't, I, I don't think you guys heard me. He tried to take control of the situation by saying something stupid. You never done that before? Never. never. That's right. Man, we got some. You guys are good. You guys should follow me around for a day. The truth is, Peter is sitting here, and he's, we can resonate with him because Peter is struggling receiving the love of Jesus. He's struggling. It's awkward to him. It feels weird. Like I thought this week, or I thought today I'd like, I'd bring someone up here and I'd show you what washing feet looks like and and stuff and they'd be like, oh man, that's a really cool symbol. And now I was gonna talk about how awkward it is for the person laying there having to get their feet washed. And I was gonna do a guide because we don't go and get pedicures. So we don't, it's just really awkward for us, right? I'm not speaking poorly to the guys who do get pedicures. My wife says I should get one. Um, But, what I'm saying, though, is it's like, it'd be awkward to have your feet washed. Like, it's kind of this awkward feeling of receiving love. And Peter didn't know how to receive love. And so what does he do? He, he makes the moment awkward, more awkward. And so I love, I love what, Peter, what Jesus says, though, because he's going, hey, unless I wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And what he's saying is, Peter, unless you let me die for your sins you're always going to be at a distance from me. Unless you really receive my love. You'll never have that relationship with me. And so Jesus washing feet is the same as him going to the cross and doing the cleansing work for our sins there. That's what it symbolizes. But it brings up that question of like, have you ever ever had moments in your life where you felt awkward, like receiving love from someone? Like seriously, seriously. Seriously, have you ever had those moments? Like someone gives you a compliment and you're like, are you talking to me? Right? Like, like, I don't think you're talking to me. We wrestle with those. Or, or Or maybe it's a moment with the spouse, right? I've heard at least. That's what I'll say. This isn't a real world example. Like my, my wife will show up and she tries to speak tries to, speak in to me and, and say something, maybe endearing, maybe something, something special. Speak, complimenting me. Speaking into the soul of who I am. And I don't know what to do sometimes in those moments because I'm going, uh, 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 this is uncomfortable. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I'm saying we do that sometimes. So we say something stupid or we make a sarcastic joke. Or we, we have that awkward laugh. I've got that one. You know, and it's like just to kind of let the moment go because it's, it's awkward when someone loves us sometimes. Receiving that love. When our boss comes out of their way to say, hey, that was really good today. I'm proud of you. When your parents speak into you and say, man, I, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And it's like, we don't always know how to receive that. And I'm not saying that's all of us. I'm not saying that's every moment, but we have those moments where it's awkward because we're told that love and affirmation is earned. That you have to do something right. That you gotta have it together. And that's the opposite of the gospel. And so as much as we can make fun of Peter, we can resonate with this like, This is awkward for me, Jesus. And now we start talking about a God who's with us in our deepest, darkest moments. That while we're sinning, He's there. While we're making the biggest mistake, while we're throwing our life away, He's there. And He can't stop thinking about us. That's awkward. That's weird. And then I just want to go to give you kind of a little bit of a practical example, a little bit of what it looks like. I want to go back to my story at the Abbey. And uh, we go up there for the day and we spend three to four hours, get to wander around. I felt prompted just to leave my cell phone, my Bible, my journal, all these things kind of back at the building. And I just take off and I start wandering. And I, start, I come to a place, and I eventually wander up this path, and there's this creek going up this path, and I come to a place where there's like two stools, right? And I'm like, perfect, I'm going to sit down. So I sit down, and I just start talking to God. I just start just talking like he's there, sharing my hurts, sharing my pains, sharing everything maybe that I didn't even know I was feeling. And I, and I just start doing this. And then I, and I feel this like weird like prompting, I'll say, <laughs> Don't ask me out of here, God. I really don't know all the time. All right? But I, he's like, hey, I feel like he's like tell me to go put my bare feet in this creek that I've walked up next to. And it's, mind you, it's a December day. And so I take off my shoes. I take off my socks. And I go and I, and I sit in the edge of this creek. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you want to talk about awkward? It's awkward now. And then to make it even more interesting, one of my fellow youth pastors walks up the trail as I'm sitting there. And... He didn't say anything. He didn't need to say anything. It was awkward. (laughs) And he kept walking. And my feet went numb. And I sit there. And I look back at that moment. That Honestly, has changed so much. And I realized that God was meeting me in that moment. God was meeting me in what felt so vulnerable and so out of place and so dependent on him. He was ministering to me. He was speaking into me. And it felt... It just felt wrong, it didn't feel right, anything about it, but God was God was speaking into the soul of Taylor. And I needed to get away from the distractions and all these places so that I could hear it. So I could hear the number one thing that mattered that God loved me, that God cared about me, that God said, I'm you're my masterpiece. And I'm just telling you that there's probably some things in your life that you may need to get away or or get the distractions out. And it might be getting, getting a Bible out and reading it or creating time to journal or something. But you need to get some distractions out of your life so that you can hear what God really has to say about you. The reason that some of those words don't pierce your heart is because the truth is you've become so numb to them that they don't matter anymore. And I believe that God is calling you, calling us to a place where we can hear them and we can celebrate them. And that it can really change the way that we live. So we don't have to be like Peter and make it awkward. Because Peter, Peter gets even better here. This is where he goes. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, just not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now he wants a bath. Jesus answered, those, he's taking advantage of the situation. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. I think this is that point to reemphasize, that that moment to reemphasize that. Judas, one of the twelve sitting around the table, is about to betray him. We, We found that out earlier, and this is what he's speaking to. He's correcting Peter, and then he's speaking to his betrayal. But then see what he does next here. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. I want to go back to verse three here just to show you something. It says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now go back to this verse before this. Thank you. It says, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. So Jesus is showing us in this story. He leaves the table. He goes down to the lowliest level. He washes feet. He then returns to the table. Jesus leaves heaven, comes down, dies for the sins of the world, returns back to the Father. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. Hey, isn't that a beautiful picture? That Jesus would leave his place of privilege, his place of authority, the place that's comfy and nice to come and save us, to pursue us. That's who God is. He comes and he washes feet. And then he calls us to do the same. Let's go to verse 13. It says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, the Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Jesus is setting the example for us. Go to the next slide here. It says, have you, I've set you an, ex, an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying, I've, I've leveled the playing field. I, I've leveled the playing field. No one's greater than anyone. If I'm willing to take the lowest position, then you can too. And this is where we can finally look ahead and move forward and go, okay, once we figure out this identity piece, now we can understand the fact that God has called us to serve others. But we have to serve from a place of identity in him. Because when we serve from that place of security, when we serve from a place of knowing whose we are, Man, we we serve from a healthy place. We serve because Christ's love has compelled us. Christ's example goes before us. We understand these things. We get this. We go, man, I serve because God first served me. That's the place we serve from. I serve because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going like that that's the reason we serve if we if we all of a sudden come in and we start trying to serve others from a place of emptiness that we haven't been ministered to by God ourselves we start serving to get accolades we start serving to find our purpose we start serving for others to say things about that that's what we start doing so serving is no longer an expression of our love it's actually a way to attain something that we think we need to fill that hole to fill that gap to fill that place of purpose that only God can fill. You got to get the order right. If you get the order wrong, you're going to be striving the rest of your life only to come up empty, only to wonder where the heck is God in all this. And God's going to say, I've been here the entire time. I love you. I'm crazy about you. So let's talk about some practical ways to serve. Let's just talk about some real practical ways. I wrote a few of them down. They're in the sermon notes. You want them? But like, what about just doing the dishes, taking out the trash? Maybe something that your spouse does or someone else does in your family. If you're a kid and you're listening, like, hey, I'm giving you you something. Maybe you'll get some more allowance money or something. I don't know. (laughs) How about when you feel like you've earned something and then you don't get the credit for it? Or you feel like you deserve something and then you never got it? Let it go. Let it go. Or for the parents in the room, you've worked that long day. It's been 10 hours, eight hours, whatever. Phone calls all day. You walk in the door and your kids, they're like, man, I just want to play with you. Wife's exhausted or husband's exhausted, whatever role it is. And you're like, "Ah, I'm so tired. I'd be like, just do it. You're not, you're not tired because of your job. You're tired because you're not being ministered by, to the one who wants to tell you who you are. Maybe you're on a team at work and you're worried about who's getting credit for what. And the real goal is that you achieve what the team needs to you. Focus on what the team's results are, not yours. And this has been a season of isolation, season where everyone's been alone. Maybe you just need to visit someone been on your heart, been on your mind. God's been bringing it. You just need to call them up, text them, whatever it is. Visit them, even if it's through a window right now. Because anything's better than nothing. Maybe there's something you could give away. Maybe it's just as simple as you know there's someone you're called to share Jesus with that needs to experience life. And And maybe it's not about necessarily bringing them to Christ, but sharing with them the power of the gospel message and letting the rest happen and fall where it does. Letting God do his work. Those are just small, easy ways you can serve in your own life and take the lowliest position and start washing feet. And we got options here at church. You can do them too. Because what we do here on the weekend, man, it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. And all you have to do to find out about our opportunities, you take out your phone, there's a QR code in the seat in front of you. And you go back to family fellowship. The QR code's back there, and you go there and you just click on this. You scroll down a little bit, go to the serve tab, and there's all our opportunities. You can be a part of the connect team. You can be part of the parking team, the safety team, the prayer team. There's a place for anyone with any gift. You can be a part of kids ministry. You're like, oh man, I don't know, Taylor. But the truth is, can I can I just tell you like the power of what's happening in kids ministry right now? Like kids are being discipled. Kids are being loved on. And while that is happening, parents are being ministered to by God. That's what's happening. And when the parents get ministered to, watch out, household. Watch out. That's what's going on back there. And we're seeing it. We got stories of it happening. And so I'd encourage you. Maybe it's youth ministry. We got teenagers that have been out of school, finally going back, isolated, consuming everything that online has to offer in the season. And they just need someone to love them and tell them that they're there to listen. We got a worship ministry. We got a tech team back there that makes the weekends go so that everyone online can watch, so you can go back and watch it, so that the music sounds good, because they need a little help with that. Specifically, Aaron. No, I'm just kidding. It's my only time I get to make a joke about him, so I I take advantage of it. Um, No, I mean, maybe it's just the simple fact that you got an idea. And you're like, man, I'm really passionate about this idea, and I feel like God's calling me to this. And and this is what I really want to do. And I would say we have spent a season here at Sunrise where we have deconstructed everything intentionally. We have taken everything and we stopped doing it because we're saying we don't want to do what we've always done. We want to do what God is doing. And that might mean doing, letting go of some things that we've always been a part of. Because God might be moving somewhere else. And can I tell you, like your idea, your thought, your passion might be the very thing that we want to rally around. Like seriously, I mean, we might say no, we might not. But you're never going to know unless you step forward. We want to be a part of what God is doing in your life. We want to be on this journey together, allowing places for you to serve. I want to invite the worship team up, and I just want to close with one final thought here for you. And I think this is is what's really, really maybe the greatest takeaway of the entire, entire message to understanding the capacity and the depths and the, the love of Christ. Jesus just gets done and he washes all, their, washes all his disciples' feet. He comes back to the table and it says that he's deeply troubled. This is actually what it says. It says, "And he, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. He's deeply troubled. He's, he's about to be betrayed to his death. It's like that moment where you're so nervous you can't even eat. Right? Nothing sounds good. He says, one of you going to betray me? And then the disciples' response is they looked at each other, wondering whom it can mean. Like, who could he mean? And I look at this, I'm going, I don't get it. And here's why I don't get it. These guys just spent three years doing their whole life together. They spent three years, every moment, together. They had deep conversations. They knew their weaknesses. They knew their strengths. They were were the church. They were doing it. They had inside jokes. They would make fun of each other in love. They experienced the power of Christ together. It was so close. And so all of a sudden, when they're sitting there at a dinner, just as normal, and Jesus goes, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And they all go, well, who's going to do it? I'm like, wait, how do you guys not know? How do you not know that someone at the table, like, there's had to be a sign? And the truth is, the reason no one could know is because that Jesus' love did not differentiate based on performance of each disciple. So even though Jesus knows, who's fully human, but fully God, he knows Judas is going to betray him. He still picks him to be on the team. And even though he knows Judas will send him off to the cross to die... To, to have the greatest punishment, he still loves Judas the same as he loves Peter. Jesus' love does not change based off performance. Jesus' love does not base off, You ever tried to love someone who's betrayed you? It is hard. Oh my goodness. But yet Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He loves through the pain. He loves through the rejection. He loves through it all. You think you've done the unforgivable this guy's going to send him to the cross. And we're going, praise God. But don't forget the pain. That was his friend. They had moments together. And then this is, this is just the extension of Jesus' love because what Jesus does next is just, someone leans in and go, hey, who... Jesus, who who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus responds like, here, I'll show you how it is. It's the one to whom I give the bread and then dip in this bowl. He's going to give this bread. He's going to dip it in a dish and give it to Judas. And a lot of us go, that's interesting. But really, by doing that, Jesus is communicating friendship. He's communicating that they are friends. And not only that, that also Judas could be the guest of honor. And this isn't to antagonize, this isn't to make fun of, this is to go, Judas, I know you're going to betray me, but that doesn't change the way that I feel about you. I'm hurt, I'm troubled, I'm in pain, but I still love you. That is the love of Christ that is supposed to compel us. That is the love of Christ and how far it goes it, has, it knows no ends. It knows no bounds. It can, you can't contain it. You can't define it. I'm giving you my best shot at it, but the truth is it goes way beyond that. And that is the love that would just have us get out of our seats and go, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I do the unthinkable, the menial task, become a slave at home, become a slave to those around me? Understanding that, man, my performance Whatever I think I need to be actually is just empty at the end of the day. The truth is, what's full is my identity in Christ. My identity, knowing that I was chosen, I was loved, I was picked, I'm his masterpiece. That's what changes us. So I just want to invite you to that. I want to invite you into that moment of just understanding that God loves you. And that's why we get to worship, because it's a moment where we get to receive the love of God. We get to respond to the message, respond to what God is doing in our hearts and in our souls. And so I want to worship with you on our way out of here this morning. I love you guys, but I pray God's love would change you and transform you. Not that you would be trying to earn it the other way.